Amen. Good morning. We are, we, first off, we done been blessed. We were blessed with the choir. We are blessed with Mama T. We were blessed with the worship. We are just a blessed people. Thank you, worship team, for doing an incredible job taking us to the throne of grace. And we are glad you are here today. I know it's not exactly balmy Florida. And you came out today at a nice, cool 12 degrees. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us. And as you know, probably, we are in the midst of a series that we're calling the Magnificent Seven. And I have to admit, Dave, one of these days, I'm going to get somebody or me, and we're going to grab that white flag while we're singing that song. We raise our white flag, and we're going to run across the stage with it and freak a bunch of Baptists out. I don't know when it's going to happen, so just hang on your seats. We've got about three or four more weeks yet. It might just going to happen, though. But we're talking about... This, you know, if we were to take our, our, um, our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds and our mouths and our hands and our feet, and don't forget that first one, probably most important, our prayer life. If we were to take those things and truly surrender them to God, how would our life be different? How would our worlds be different? What would our world be like if we truly saw people as God sees people and even learn to see circumstances as God sees circumstances? What if we learn to recognize that toxic voice that sometimes whispers in our ear? We'll talk about just a little bit about that um, this morning. What if we could hear the voices and, and discern what was the voice of God and hear him clearly, even though it might be a still small whisper? How would our lives be different? And on and on we could go, and we won't take the time to do that. But you see how if we would, I think we're discovering that our lives, our world, our families, our jobs, our careers, all of us would be very different in a lot of ways if we surrendered, if we raised our white flag to God Almighty, surrendering everything to Him. So today we find ourselves speaking about the heart. And by the way, if we have church tonight, we're going to be back um, tonight. And the sermon title tonight is Clogged Arteries. You know, you never know. Okay, you ought to come to church. You never know what the sermon's going to be about. So, so you know, today, this, this week, we're talking about the the heart and what it would be like if our heart was surrendered. Well, let me tell you a couple of stories. Way back in 19, I th- I'm pretty sure it was 1971, uh, around 1971, um, my dad had a heart attack. And uh, I was like in high school. I remember that part of it. Probably, I wasn't a senior, I I think I was a junior. That's why I graduated in 72, so I think 71. But he had this pretty massive, no, it was a really massive heart attack. And um, so so he was in the hospital for a long time. And back in those days, um, there really wasn't a whole lot they could do for heart attacks. Back in those days, you rested. You know, they kept you in bed in the hospital for several weeks. Then you came home and you rested several weeks. And most likely it involved a medical retirement. If you're at that point in your life where you could retire, basically bottom line in my life, dad quit working. And uh, it really changed rapidly our lives. And so a little later on, he had a couple more heart attacks. Uh, And finally in in 1974, um, he died. He died because it was such a hopeless situation. There just wasn't a whole lot you could do when you had these bad heart attacks. And so he died. I was 20 years old. Those of you go through the loss of a parent at a young age, I can identify with that. I, I know that. Well, and so the next significant person in my, in my life was, was Roy Smith Allen. And he was significant because my wife is very significant, and that was her dad. And her dad was having some heart difficulties. And in 1977, we were about to board up, and we were going to Germany. And believe me, back in, you remember 1977? No cell phones, no internet, none of that. Literally, snail mail was all you had. You could make a phone call, but it was like hugely expensive, very rarely done. And the bottom line is you take snail mail, it takes weeks to get there. 
Well, as we're getting ready to leave, Roy Smith was doing something he shouldn't have done. He was under the house working. And he's like a pretty old guy by then. And uh, he's, he can tell he's in distress. And he wouldn't listen to his sons. He wouldn't listen to his daughters. Certainly would not listen to his wife. And so he, they said, Dwayne, try to talk him. Try to talk him. So I got there. I said, Roy, what are you doing, man? He goes, oh, I'm out here. i got to do this work, you know. And he's sweating profusely. It is not a good situation. And so finally I said, said Roy, listen, why don't you come out from underneath there and, and let's go to the doctor. Let's go to the hospital. Bottom line, long story short, he did say yes. And so we are fixed. I mean, we are leaving for Germany in a few minutes. And so we didn't know what to do. The ambulance came and got him and took him to the hospital because he was having chest pains and shortness of breath, all those things. And so, you know, the doctor said, you might as well go ahead and go. I think we've caught this in time. Um, certainly has not had a major heart attack. I think it'll be okay. So we get on the plane and we go to Germany. And of course, again, remember, no cell phones, no internet, none of that. And we get a letter like three weeks later, maybe four weeks later. And the opening line was something like this. I guess you heard what happened to your dad. And we're going, what? And turns out that after we left, um, he had a very massive heart attack. Um, they transferred him to Jacksonville. And on the way to Jacksonville, Florida, he died like three times in the ambulance. And they were able to revive him. And they had a new procedure. It had been done experimentally in other places, but it was just coming on the scenes called heart bypass. Heart bypass. And they really take some, you know, some arteries and graft around the clogged arteries. But again, I mean, like he was in the hospital for weeks. And once again, the recovery time at home was long, but he did live. He lived four more years. And um, we were very grateful for those four years. And now we all know the rest of the story. In case you're wondering why I'm taking so much time. Well, we know the rest of the story now because a lot of, you know, we get a call and say, hey, so-and-so's having open heart surgery. And now it's kind of like, not quite, but it's kind of like, oh, by the way, I'm having my gallbladder out. Open heart surgery has become very routine and you go in in five days, you're home and not maybe five to seven days after that, you're up, you're walking around, you're doing activities and, and then not too long beyond that, everything goes according to plan, you're back to work. It's crazy. And then, and then they came along this, this angioplasty thing, this, where they do a heart cath and they go up there and they can rotor, rotor, rotor or balloon your arteries out and then you're back home like the next day and back to work. It's incredible what they've done with the heart. Isn't isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Aren't you so glad we are fearfully and wonderfully made? And aren't you glad God has given man all this intelligence? You know, I don't think a monkey would have figured this out. Just say it. Just say it. You know, but God's given you know, man all this knowledge on how to do this. But then there's this problem. What do you do when the heart just can't be fixed? What do you do when there really is the heart's so sick you can't fix it? And that's when an amazing thing comes into play called a heart transplant. And we all, a lot of us know, not all of us, but, but we, a lot of us know a wonderful man named Larry Reed. And if you'll get his picture up, there's Larry. And um, what happened with Larry was when he was a younger man, he was a teacher. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But he was a teacher and um, he had a virus. And an unknown really at the time, but the virus settled in and attacked his heart. And on through the years, he got weaker and weaker and tireder and tireder. And they finally figured out that this virus had done this and severely damaged his heart. And there was no bypass because that wasn't the issue. There was no angioplasty because that wasn't the issue either. The bottom line, the heart was desperately sick. And the only answer was a heart transplant. 
And that happened for Larry in 1992. And God blessed him with, I think, 19 more years of good life because they took the sick heart out and gave him a new heart. Now, here's the part, though, that you may not understand or yet realize. It's really the the thrust of the message today. You see, Larry did not have one heart transplant. Larry had two heart transplants. Because, you see, there was a time in Larry's life when Larry met Jesus Christ as Savior. And as we're going to learn today, when he met Jesus, Jesus took out the old, stony, hard heart, sinful heart, and put in a brand new heart. And he's done that for a lot of people. Can I have an amen here? A lot of our people here in this room and that are listening on the radio this morning, you have experienced a heart transplant. There was a day when God put a brand new heart in you. And what's amazing is, just like Larry went from, you know, could hardly move, was tired and lethargic, he was given this brand new life, spiritually speaking also. Something dramatic happened to Larry. Let me read to you just a little blurb from Larry's, um, Larry's obituary out of the paper. Here's what it says. Larry graduated from Harrisburg High School and went on to graduate from Southern Illinois University with a bachelor's degree in education. He was a retired teacher, having taught in Harrisburg for 34 years at Bayless School, McKinley, McKinley School, and Malin Junior High School. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He was ordained as a deacon in 1960. Now, I was six years old then. Larry was deacon, and I was just out of diapers, it seems. All right? At McKinley Avenue Baptist Church and served as a deacon at Doorsville Baptist Church, where he was also a member from 1984 until the time he died. Larry served in church work for almost 50 years as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, Sunday school director, training union, some of y'all might remember that, training union director, royal ambassador leader, choir member, upwards basketball coach, which means there's hope for all the short people because Larry was high challenged but still taught, or still coached basketball. I thought that was cool. Faith evangelism team and vacation Bible school craft leader. He worked in children's camp for the Slim Baptist Association for many years and went on mission trips to Wyoming and Virginia And then he received that new heart in 1992. Now, the reason I read that to you was, I want you to understand something. That Larry Reed was just an incredible, nice man. But what you read there was a result of a heart transplant that he had spiritually in his life. What made Larry this wonderfully unique man was largely because he met Jesus Christ and received, if you will, that first heart transplant. That is just incredibly a powerful testimony. Now, here's the cool part. Again, as I said earlier, for some of us, God has already done this. He's done this heart transplant. But perhaps for some of you today, and perhaps some listening on the radio... You've not experienced this Jesus. You've not experienced this heart transplant. So what I want to do today is, and you know, sometimes when people wake up from heart transplants or kidney transplants, anything that really puts them in a very, very deep sleep, they they kind of groggily say, what happened? 
And then we refresh their memories. Well, you went into surgery and you now have a new heart. You have a new liver. You have a new kidney. Well, I think sometimes as believers in Jesus Christ, we kind of sometimes forget what God has done for us. And so in case you're just a little groggy today from after spiritual surgery, or perhaps it's been a long time, we want to take the word of God and look at what God has done for us in our heart transplant episode. What he's done. And the more we understand, Larry was forever grateful to the person who gave him that physical new heart. And Larry was forever grateful for the Jesus who gave him the spiritual heart. And and the reason why is because for Larry, it stayed fresh and new. For Larry, it stayed fresh and new. So we're going to go to the heart doctor today. We're going to get a diagnosis. And we're going to find out that our hearts were sick or are sick. And then we're going to visit the, all these stuff that's in the Old Testament, by the way. Kind of usual. We'll get this wonderful portrait um, from the Old Testament, from the prophets, about what Jesus, what God does in our lives today. So we're going to get a diagnosis. We're going to see how God does the heart surgery and the extent he does that. And then we're going to see the need to have regular checkups. Every year, Larry went back for the heart transplant checkup. And we also are going to look and see how we need to do checkups every day. So you ready to go to the doctor? All right, let's go. The first scripture is Jeremiah. And these are on your sermon sheet. We'll have them on the screen up here. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The first thing we've got to do is understand, first off, you you either had a very sick heart or you have a very sick heart now. If you had a very sick heart, that means that you've already had the transplant and God has worked in your life. So this will be, this is what happened to me. If you're here today, though, and you've never met Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about religious. I'm not talking about I've been baptized. I'm not talking about I go to church. I'm not talking about I keep the rules. I'm talking about if you've not had a personal encounter with Christ, that is, the Jesus who died on a Roman cross very much like this and understood what he did. If there's not been a time when you turned from your sin and chose to follow Christ, then this is where you are and this is what can happen to you today. So here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says a couple of really key things. He says, the heart is deceitful. And I chose New King James because I just like these, this verbiage. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So there are two key things. Do you see them there? There are two key things there that you need to know about your heart. First off, particularly after hearing the, the uh, message about the voices that we hear, okay, the voices that we hear, very crucial. The heart is deceitful above all things. You need to understand something. The heart, the unregenerate heart, and sometimes even once we're Christians, the heart will whisper falseness to us. It's deceitful above all things. Sometimes if you're here today and you've not had the heart transplant, if you've never met Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've never turned from your sin and chose to follow Christ, if that's not happened, there's a chance your heart's going to whisper you and tell you, I don't need that. I'm a good person. I keep the rules pretty well. I know what the social mores are in life. I do the things pretty cool. And it'll try to convince you that you're okay. And sometimes, even... As we know Christ is Savior, those voices, that heart will whisper, you're a failure. You're no good. You can't. You never will. No sense trying. The heart 
is deceitful above all things. Listen, your heart will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. Uh, We used to say commonly, you know, hey, just listen to your heart. Hey, just follow your heart. I've learned over the years, bad advice. Bad advice. The heart is deceitful. But not only that, it says the heart is desperately wicked. Oh, I wish we could just burn this imagery into our minds. Just how depraved we are before we met Jesus Christ. In our natural state, before we are regenerated by Christ, in our natural state, our heart is just desperately wicked. We are totally, totally, totally and completely separated from God. And the Word of God says it like this. It says, there is none righteous. How many? Yeah, yeah. There's none righteous, no, not one. Why? There's none who understands. And you women go, I know that one because my husband sure doesn't. Okay? There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And that is a picture from the New Testament, from a book called Romans in chapter 3 of that book, where, where Paul says, you've got to understand that there is no good in us in our natural state. We can bring nothing to the table with God. If, 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 and it's not, but if there was a bartering table, if there's a bargaining table with God, and we sat down and God said, okay, what do you got? We'd have to say zero. Ain't got nothing. Ain't got nothing to bring. That's our condition. And that's why we need a transplant. So, so Jeremiah shares with us, the heart doctor shares with us, and tells us, one, you can't trust your heart. I mean, for years, Judy got saved... She met Christ in April, and I wrestled with me till October. And I remember us sitting on the steps and talking, and I was just wrestling. I'm okay. I'm okay. I was trying to rationalize the fact. I, boy, was I religious. I stunk religion. I mean, again, I, I was on church three times a week. I went on visitation. I led worship in the church. I stunk religion. And I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. My heart was saying, sure are, sure are, sure are. My heart was lying to me. And I'm so grateful that that still small voice, that God voice, that, that Holy Spirit conviction finally broke through that deception. It helped me understand that I was desperately wicked and needed and needed. A savior, a savior. So, so Jeremiah then says, God says in verse 10, I, the Lord, will search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God says, listen to the heart doctor. Let me search your heart. You can't trust your heart. Let me search your heart and give you a diagnosis. And some of you have sat through our services over and over again. Some of you have listened to the broadcast over and over again. And frequently you feel this, I need to do something. You're, you become cognitive of your sin. You become aware of your sin. And you feel like there's something you need to do. And of course that, that doing is receiving what he's already done. That doing is turning from your sin and believing what he's already done. That he paid the price. That he endured God's wrath. So you couldn't and wouldn't have to. Some of you, that's where you are. And let the doctor examine and search your heart. See, my dad, after his heart attack, dad was a, dad was a two-packer. 
you know, two pa- mom's a two-packer and dad was a two-packer. If I die of secondhand, secondhand smoke when I get to heaven, I'm going to be really mad. I'm going to go, okay, mom, dad, can we talk here? Uh, like, I had like five years cut off because of the smoking gig. But, but dad, the doctor went, you know, dad went to the doctor after his heart attack. And dad didn't quit smoking. And so finally, dad looked at my dad, doctor looked at my dad in the, in the face. I remember this. And said, Austin, if you don't quit smoking, you're going to die. And by the way, if you're a smoker, you need to know that. If you don't quit smoking, you're going to die. That's free. didn't cost you a dime. And my daddy said, I will die happy. And my dad continued to smoke. And my dad died in two years. And the process cheated me out of my children knowing a grandfather. I was 20 years old. 20 years old when he died. Some of you have heard message after message after message. And God is speaking to your heart. Saying, come, let me do surgery. Let me make you new. Let me give you a new heart. You don't need religion. You don't need to give us some habits. You need a new heart. Listen to the heart doctor today. Let him Change you by making you new. So Ezekiel gives us this beautiful picture then of what it means to have his heart transplant. What does God want to do? And, and, and you know, doctors will do this. Doctors will sit down and say, now this is how we do the surgery. And they have a little book you go through and you read all about it. They want you knowledgeable of what he's about to do or what she's about to do. So this morning, God wants you to be knowledgeable about what he wants to do in your life or or has done in your life. So this may be something that's already occurred in your life or something that maybe needs to occur today. And we find this beautiful picture, this portrait in Ezekiel and chapter 36. Of all the places, uh, one of the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 36. And here's what Ezekiel says, God speaking. Now, now the background, I need you just a hair of background. The background is that the nation of Israel is just like defamed the name of God. They have walked away from God and walked away from God. And God understood that if something was going to happen, it was going to have to be him. And so he, enter, he walks into the situation saying, it's all about me. I'm the doer. And by the way, if you're saved today, he was the doer. Come on now. If you're saved today, you are, excuse me, he is the doer, not you. There's nothing we could do. It had to be him. So here's what God proposed. said, this is what I'm going to do in your life, Israel. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God said nothing short of this. Israel, you are so sick. Your heart is so sick. I will pull out that heart of stone. And you know what a heart of stone? It's, it's not pliable. It's not teachable. It's hard. Because I will take out that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And normally, especially in the New Testament, when you hear the word flesh, it's not a good thing. Here it is. It's a heart that will function. It's a heart that's pliable. It's a heart that is teachable. And God says, I want to take that heart out and give you a new heart. Now we have a, we have a picture of this in John chapter 3. You know, Jesus is out one night. And a guy named Nicodemus comes. 
And, you know, Nicodemus says, hi, Jesus, how you doing? You know, we know you're a great man, maybe a man sent from God. You're an awesome teacher and all those things. And then Jesus says these words. He says, Nicodemus, I tell you, you've got to be born again. Born again. It's a beautiful parallel. Ezekiel says, you know, God says, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a new heart. Jesus simply changed the words and said, you need to be Born again. And of course, Nicodemus was like way confused. Let, let me read it to you. I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But, but he says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, I assure you this. Unless someone is born of water, that is physically, and is born of the spirit, that is spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed, I tell you, you must be born again. And that's what God is saying in Ezekiel 36, 26. He said, I want to take that old hard stone heart out and put a new heart in you. It's a picture of what God does for us in our lives. He said, you've got to be born. Listen, you don't need a renovation. You don't even need a reconstruction. You need a resurrection. Because the Bible says that we are dead and trespasses and sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are dead and God wants to come in and make you alive. Literally, Larry was given a second shot at life. Why? Because he got a new heart. And Larry was allowed to live forever. You do understand that Larry didn't die. His body did. But he's so much alive today. Oh, I wish he could pop in and say hi. He lets you know how for the last four years, how incredibly real and wonderful heaven is and Jesus is. Amen. He would let us know. So so today, I'm looking you dead in the eye and I'm telling you, you must be born again. You don't, listen, it's not in church. I'm telling you, someone needs to hear this today. Because you're saying, yeah, I'm good enough because I go to church and I go to church a lot. Jesus said you got to be born again. I give money, Dwayne. Do you know how much money I give? Well, no, I don't, to be honest with you. But I'll tell you this. You must be born again. You say, I treat people right. In the community, people would say, there goes a nice guy. You must be born again. Jesus said it. There's only one way to heaven, and that is not to have one birth. You've got to be born physically, but you've got to have that second birth. You've got to be born again. And some of you were born a second time. But maybe some of you have never have. And without that, you'll be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. You must be born again. God, using the book of Ezekiel, paints this picture. I'll take the stony heart out. And I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that's teachable, a heart that's pliable, a heart that's functional. And God wants to do that in your life today. You know, if Larry had said no, he would have died a lot sooner, perhaps weeks, months. But because he said yes, he lived 19 more years. If you say no to this heart surgery, well, the Bible says, again, in Ephesians, you're already dead. But you will stay dead for all eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. Say yes, and you live 
forever. Forever. How incredible. Think about that. Think about that. But Dwayne, it's the rule thing. It's the rule thing. See, Dwayne, I know me, and I'm just not that good. I, I see, you know, I, I know enough about God that I know there's rules, and I know you're supposed to keep the rules, and I'm not able to keep the rules because my heart tells me I'm worthless anyway. So I don't think I can do it. You don't have to do it. That's the whole point I'm trying to share with you. You can't earn God's favor by keeping a bunch of rules. In fact, I'm going to share with you this summer, and I'll go ahead and give you a little tidbit now. The only reason God gave us rules is for our benefit. He knows how, he knows how to have the most pleasant, successful, powerful life here. And he gives us rules to help us live that life here. Not to earn his favor. Not to, okay, passing score, 70%, you're in. Oops, 69, you're out. No. No. But watch this. Look at, look at verse number 27 of Ezekiel 36. I will, now by the way, did you get something? I will give you, I will remove, and now in verse 27, I will place. Who's acting? Who's acting? God is. It's all God. It's not us. It's all God. He says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you and cause you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God says, when I do the heart surgery, I'm going to give you a new heart. But he goes, I'm going to go one step further. While we got your chest open spiritually, I'm going to crawl inside. Because the Bible says that every believer has the Holy Spirit living within them. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. Listen to John chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus speaking. But the counselor, the advocate, the helper, um, the comforter, all those words, parakletos, probably terribly mispronounced in the Greek. But, but this advocate, this helper, this comforter, he will come. The Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. And he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my spirit. My, I'm, he's, he's a comforter like me. He's a helper like me. He's an advocate like me. He's a, if we will, he's a, he's a lawyer like me. An mediator like me. But I will give you my spirit. And he will teach you. He will remind you. He will help you. He will comfort you. And he will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. <coughs> what does that mean? It means that God lives out this Christian life through us. Come on, if you figured out you can't do it, come on now, be honest. Every time you try to forgive, and you couldn't. Every time you did, you did something, you didn't want to do it, but you did it anyway. We surrender and allow God to do it through us. We surrender, and this is important teaching. We surrender and then God does it through us. God, I can't. It must be you. 
If you will, I think we could say it this way. I think this works. You know, God did the impossible and gave us a new heart. And then God allows us to do the impossible, and that is keeping his commandments. We can't, it's impossible. But with Christ, all things are possible. It's not the little train, I'm using this a while. It's not the little train saying, I think I can, I think I can. You can't, you can't, you can't. You can't. But Christ living in you can. And I shared this week with someone. Let's say you're wrestling with, with unforgiveness. You, know, you, you sit there and you say, God, I'm wrestling with this person in this situation. I want to. God, just wrestle with it. Help me today. Today. Don't, I'm not asking for two weeks, God. Just help me today. If you make it through noon and, bam, that thought comes in and the anger comes back and all that comes back, what do you do? You say, God, I made it six hours, but, boy, I need your help right now. And guess what? He's going to go, uh-uh, you can't make it a day. No, that's what Satan says. God will say, I'm here for you, buddy. I got your back. That's the kind of God that he is. He's put his spirit within us, his spirit within us to teach, to help, and to comfort us. Surrender to that. Allow him. Anybody here almost drown? Yeah. Scary, isn't it, Bill? It really is. You know what you've got to do? When the lifeguard comes out, if you try to grab a hold of the lifeguard, and you're going to take you both down. You've got to surrender to the lifeguard. He'll say, relax. Let me carry you. And when you relax and let him carry you, you make it back to the shore. That's what God wants you to do. Relax. Let me carry you. Let my spirit take you. So he said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you this new spirit. And he's going to affect. He's going to cause. It's going to happen that these ordinances that are what? By the way, they are there. Listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. This is John 6, 63. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. This book is life. Come on. This book is not bondage. This is this book is not thou shalt not 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 not. This book is freedom. There are some nots and there's some yeses. Understand that. When you understand what this book is, that this this book is about our life here. Our life here. Being full, it changes your attitude toward this book. I mean, it's even, even the, the, uh, the book about uh, how to drive, the rules of the road book. If you see that as restrictive, you'll hate it. If you see it as freeing in that you might survive two weeks on the road, you'll learn to love it. The Word of God is not restrictive. The Word of God is freeing. Then he says this. In verse 26, or excuse me, 28 and 29. Then you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all uncleanliness. Dwayne, how does that fit in? 
Well, of course, it's referring back to the children of Israel. They, God had promised them a land, and they were going to go into that land, and they had been in that land. But because of their disobedience, they had been scattered. And God says, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you back to the land that I had promised you. One reason it's called the promised land was because God made a promise to give it to them. The promised land's not heaven. Never was, never will be. For every person here who's had a heart transplant spiritually, the promised land is the abundant life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. King James, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. When we allow God to give us a new heart, when he fills us with his spirit, empowers and enables us, we find ourselves in the purposeful, the abundant life that he wants us to have. I'm telling you, listen to the old preacher. Many of us never discovered this because we don't understand what he did, We don't understand what he's doing and we do not understand what he wants to do. It's just the truth. And we will go through our life satisfied with second best because we think we have it figured out. We think it's in the number of times we go to church. We think it's in how many times we read our Bible. Not letting letting the Bible get into our lives, but how how much we read. We think it's in how much we do, 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 do. And we're going to end up in life going... It wasn't very fulfilling. You know why? Because we didn't do what God asked us to do. And that's trust Him. That's trust Him. So I will bring you into the land. And I will what? Save? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the recurring message. It's me. (laughs) It's me. It's not you. It's me. It's me. I love this. He says... You, you will be my people. In other words, God's saying, watch this. I've got to get this. God looks and goes, you're mine. Y'all, come on, come on, come on, come on. Did y'all feel bad? Did y'all watch the Charlie Brown special for Valentine's? The boy is still not getting any Valentine's, Betsy. His little box is empty. I feel so bad for him. It's terrible. Do you understand if God sent Valentine's, he wouldn't say, be mine. He said, you're mine. Come on. Shoot that thing. God of the universe. Creator of it all. Says, you're mine. And by the way, if you're here and you've not had the transplant, his invitation is, be mine. Come home. Come home. Be mine. You're mine. I'll be your... People, and, and, and you'll be mine, you know, I'll be your God. I'll be your God. This is too good of an opportunity to not make points. I married up. She was cute in 1975, and she's stinking cute now. I've lost hair, turned gray, and gained 40 pounds, and she still looks good. She incredibly still says, Dwayne, you are mine. 
I, David, you said it. I choose you. He chose us. And he didn't pick just the pretty people. Because there weren't any. Isn't God great? Aren't you just overwhelmed? Come on. Come on. Come on. He's great. He's incredible. He's awesome. He extends this to us out of his mercy and out of his grace. Well, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you do your checkup at home. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. But let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and let's respond to God's love today. We call it our decision time. So here's the bottom line. Here's the takeaway. If you're here today, and we're still on the radio, and if you're here today, and you've never, you may have tried church, you may have tried being good, you may have tried starting habits and breaking habits, and all you've ended up is in failure and more darkness. I invite you to let God do a spiritual heart transplant. And once again, just for clarity, notice again, I will give you, I will remove, I will place. It's all God. God's saying, if you will trust and believe what my son Jesus did on the cross, that the wages of sin was death, that he took the full wrath of God on this cross. You know, he, he, he became sin that we could become the righteousness of God. He bore it all on that cross. And if we are willing to turn from our sin, turn from that path and follow this path, if we're willing to do that, then He's willing to forgive us. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, black or green. He really doesn't care if you think your sin list is this long or this long. God loves you. God provided the atonement, the propitiation, the payment for our sin. And then said, whosoever will may come. I'll be standing down front. If I can help you and share with you today this great truth, experience this truth in your life. If you've got some questions, we'll try to answer those for you. I'm telling you, there's a room full of people here today. A lot of them can tell you that they trusted Jesus. They had the heart transplant years ago and it's the best decision they ever made. Can I have an amen? amen? It's just incredible. It's just incredible. The second bottom line is this. A lot of us have experienced that transplant. I can honestly say from what I knew of Larry Reed, and I knew him pretty well, is that he never got over that transplant. Not in a bad sense, in a good sense. He always remembered, and his family did, what a wonderful gift it was that someone gave him. And because of that, he lived a wonderfully full life. The second bottom line is this. Are you willing today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are you willing today to be grateful for the new heart and the spirit of God lives within you? Are you willing to live in such a way? Are you willing to surrender your heart to him and say, God, it's yours. It's yours. And when you do that, your, your vision, your hearing, amazing things are going to happen spiritually in your life. You know, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, in the model prayer, He said, your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. And I spoke that day and said, you know, that's, that speaks of the rule of Christ, the rule of God. The, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. 
And it's in its smallest form, it's every individual heart. And are you willing today to say, God, I'm off the throne and you're on. I'm off and you're on. I'm willing to surrender. I ask you, are you willing to do that? Make that commitment to Christ today. Not salvation, a surrendered heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so very, very much for the privilege of sharing these truths. God, for my friend that might be here or listening on the radio who's never heard this. All they've heard is religion and try and do your best, try to earn, and it's nothing but frustration and death. I pray, Father, for them, for the shingles come off their eyes, for them to see your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Help them to be willing to turn from their life of sin and choose to follow the greatest greatest leader of all, and that's Christ. Father, for, for my many friends here, my brothers and sisters, that we have experienced this new heart, I guess, Father, my bottom line prayer is help us to appreciate that. May it never grow old. May it never grow stale what you have done for us. Help us to understand Father, for Larry to get his heart, someone had to die. And for us to get our heart, someone had to die. Thank you, Jesus, for dying that we might live. May we leave gratefully filled, gratefully filled today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.